Bezer Hashem. I've decided that I would also like to record just some translations of classic books in the Torah for the benefit of anyone who wants to listen when you're driving, walking. I think the podcast platform is such an amazing way to spread truth, wisdom, joy, the words, the life-giving words uh, that you can take it anywhere you go. So we begin with the Chovot Halavavot, the duties of the heart, by Rabbeinu Bechaye. This was a student of the Ramban. <clears throat> he was a Makubal, a Kabbalist, but wrote extensive works in more simple language for everyone to benefit. Traditionally, these days, we don't read the first volume or the first major section which is Philosophical Proofs of God. This book was written in the Middle Ages when this was more common. We don't spend so much time, although there's deep Kabbalah laced in this chapter. It's not something I want to spend time on right now. We'll do the second treatise on examination, the requirement of every truth seeker to seek out the wisdom of the Creator in everyday occurrences of life, and to see the extraordinary within the ordinary. That the duty of examining the wisdom of the Creator in all of the signs and hints of wisdom that He has placed in all of His creations, and the subsequent expansion of one's consciousness through the power of one's constant recognition and examination of the wisdom found in all creations. He's saying that we can imagine the sun. The sun, it, its light can change colors depending on what filter it's filtering through. The, its light can change shape. It can change in intensity depending on what vessel it's dealing with. Also, he doesn't bring it here, I don't think, but like the sun... You know, it can melt and liquefy something that's dry, and it can also harden something which is more liquid. Like it can bake wet clay and make it pottery, that sort of thing. People would make pottery in the sun, or it can melt, uh, if it's a very hot day, it can melt wax. So it can take something that's dry and melt it. So the sun is a symbol here of. A power source of powers and influences which is shining forth in undifferentiated power and yet within the quality of sunlight it are powers that express so many different types of effects depending on the receiving vessel that is dealing with those effects. This is why in visions and in writings, the soul of a human being is compared to the sun. That the soul is a 
diffuse essence of light and wisdom and intelligence, which in its essence is purely simple. But it is the limbs of the body which pull out of that simple soul, yet within that simple soul are all sorts of potentials of different soul powers. So the soul, even though in its essence it's totally simple, totally godly, totally holy, yet it's the body which serves as a platform to draw out and siphon out of that holy soul the different particular and possible expressions of the soul such that the soul can express as a seeing soul. What pulls out the expression of the soul as a seeing soul is the eyes. What pulls out the expression of the soul as a hearing soul is the ears. So, etc., etc. And so when the Rabbeinu Bechaye is talking about the analogy of the sun, he's ultimately helping us to think about God, God himself and how that the world, the universe itself, is designed as a great system a great organism which is meant to draw out the different expressions of God, such that every event, every item, every particular detail in this universe, its actual function is to draw out all of God's particular powers which he wished to express to us in our world. And that we can say that actually every moment of time and every particular detail of every moment of time was already slated out and already created as a different opportunity to express a different piece of God's plan. That is the function of each moment. That is the function of the universe itself. A person might ask, well, what about evil? What about destruction? How is that representing God's power? And these are deep questions which we'd have to address another time. Or we think of the analogy of water. Water is also a major uh, quality in creation that we can use as an analogy to understand the qualities of godly power. So water is something that has no color, no taste, yet it gives life to all. And water can take one plant and make that plant show red flowers. And another plant, when the water enters that plant, it shows blue flowers. Water enters and creates huge redwood trees, or it enters somewhere else and creates tiny little grass. And philosophically, and this is something I've thought about many times, that if water is yet that that has no taste, no shape, no color, yet it gives life to all. You have to say that philosophically, in some as in some aspect, all of the different items that water could give life to are philosoph- <clears throat> are philosophically actually contained in that water. So even though the water is clear, tasteless, colorless, shapeless, yet it is that which gives rise and gives life to all shapes. Without water, each shape would shrivel up and die, the concept of water. So in another sense, all of the shapes, all of the colors are in the water. Because without the water, there would be none of those colors or shapes of those growths. And so this is an analogy of water and its relationship to organisms and plants. Again, we think of God or God's light, God's creative life-giving power of 
giving and granting existence, that's how we can understand that all existences actually exist within God's power. And how that just as water on its own is colorless, tasteless, formless, etc., yet it's the quality of the redwood is now, by taking in the water and becoming a redwood, it is now showing, hey, you know what? Actually, this redwood-producing power was actually in the water. You just couldn't see it until the redwood grew. And so, too, this power of giving life to grass, this grass life force was also in the water. You just couldn't see it until the grass displayed, oh, see, this is something else that water can do. So, too, this is the function of the world. This is mystically referred to as avodat sarach gavoa, or shechina betachtonim sarach gavoa, that the divine presence, as it resides in the lowest realms, is, so to speak, ne- is necessary to the upper powers. God forbid to say that God in his essence needs anything. God doesn't need anything. But he set up his universe that for us and our ability to appreciate Hashem and his powers and his creative abilities and his supervising abilities, that the function thereby of the universe as a gift to us was that each and every item would serve the upper light by showing what the upper light is made of to us. When we think about pure, essential, upper creative force, it's like to us, it's like water. Like we intuit that something's creating everything. Some power is creating everything. This is God's power. It's not God. It's his power. But we intuit that there's this godly power of God that is like the watery source, the watery like hydroponic source from which everything is growing from this water. We intuit it. But what is it? Well, you know, the fact is we can see it. You know how we can see it? We can see it in everything around us. Everything around us serves as like organic growths, which just as each individual plant serves to show, hey, look what water can do. So to the universe itself, its function is to show to us, hey, see what God can do. And this isn't all God can do, obviously. God could do literally an infinite amount of iterations of universes with no end. There's no end to the possibility of expression of what God could express because his true expressive power called Ein Sof, endless light, has no end. There is no end to that power. And if we lived in a universe that would express Ein Sof, we wouldn't have grasped it yet because it would just, there would be no end. So the function of this universe is that it's a limited set of experiences, items, events, historical flows, individuals that Hashem selected that within a unified system, they all would help us to appreciate and understand it, to reveal to us what God's powers are in the capacity that we were designed to be able to understand and handle. So, the Mechaber continues. Right. He says now, 
when you contemplate all the creations, you will be able, from the smallest to the greatest, you will then be able to intuit and understand that which was previously hidden from you. When you contemplate every creation as like an organic growth, as, an, as, as the entire universe being like one organism, growing from one watery or light source, that being the godly power, the collection of godly power that fuels this universe, when you constantly are meditating on how each particular item, its true function and the true reason that it exists is that it is only existing and presenting itself to you so that you can intuit backwards of how is this item or this experience or this seeming coincidence in my life, which wasn't such a coincidence, how is this particular detail of the creation that presents itself to me, how is that teaching me something new about a different power of God. When you're constantly living that way and having that focus and that perspective, you start to understand, at least on the level of intuition, of deep consciousness coming from the deeper divine parts of our soul, which can understand these things, even though our normal body awareness can't necessarily appreciate it so much. But when you're constantly focusing this way, even when at first it's only on the level of intuition, you slowly start piecing together the pieces. You say, wow, you know, this bowl expresses godly power in this way, and this fruit expresses godly power in this way. Even if you're only just saying to yourself, hey, I don't know what godly power this thing is expressing, but I believe that it does. And you just look at it that way. You contemplate it. Literally, you do a visual contemplation on your everyday visual experience every day. You start to just be aware that in general, everything, its function is to come and express the powers of God. And there were great Kabbalists who they basically know, okay, so colors, red, anything red in the world is essentially displaying the powers of severity, blood, limitations, my blood versus your blood, war, passion versus the white things in the world. They are expressing purity, starting over, pure white light, a fresh start, uh, uh, empty-mindedness, the color from which all colors come from. Green is representing balance, growth, life, you know. And so, but they wouldn't just stop there. I mean, they would see I mean, they could see straight through the matrix and they, every shape they saw, every, every color they saw, every emotional experience they went through, every thought they had, they were seeing how it was linked up to the divine code in every second of their lives. These were amazing, amazing people. It's said about the Arizal, the father of modern Kabbalah, that he could look at your forehead and know all the thoughts that you'd ever thought, all the things you'd ever done, and the thoughts you were, hadn't yet even thought yet. He was so plugged into the real code running reality. Okay, we, we can't really hope to actually achieve those levels in our lifetime, but we can appreciate that they exist and that we can hook up at our level to some type of deeper intuition that we were created to be able to get. It's also brought in Rab Tzadaka Cohen and other tzaddikim that, you know, at the end of the day, a person has the nature of their soul. It, it, if a person doesn't have 
the, the powerful soul of the Arizal, he's not going to be able, say, to look at someone's forehead and, and know everything they did. It's not in his capacity, but he can be in his own level in the nature of his soul and how powerful his soul is in its root. He can attain and achieve the most amazing heights by turning from negativity. When a person works as hard as he can from turning from negativity in his life, then he creates a pure, clean channel in his whole being, and that's what he can work on. When he creates the purest, cleanest channel, that he is an instrument of the divine light, when his instrument is as clean and pure and true to its function as possible, then he will receive all the light that is the nature of his soul. And even if the nature of his soul isn't the soul of Moses, isn't the soul of the Arizal, isn't the soul of the Baal Shem Tov, these great tzaddikim who could literally manifest the earlier tzaddikim, they can manifest animals and beings and humans out of thin air. The Gemara says it brings stories of certain rabbis who created the golem. They created a, they created a, a walking humanoid. And it says that the only reason that they couldn't put a soul into that humanoid was because of the impurity of the world around them because of the sins of their generation. And the Gemara says that if the righteous wanted to, they could create universes. Okay? We're not at that level. We might not ever, we probably none of us have within our soul's capacity that which it says about the Sadiqim that they can create worlds, universes. But at least if we can be as clean as we can and as pure as we can in the gates of our consciousness and the gates of our senses to see godliness and to seek out to only uh, perceive, see, hear, feel only things which are godly in order to experience godliness, when we create our channel and it's as clean, as pure as possible, then our souls are linking up to these greater souls and we can catch a glimpse and we can catch the echo in the glow of what they knew and what they experienced. Okay. And the fact is that, in other words, we're sitting here in this universe. There's not an accident that there's so many species, there's so many colors, there's so many different types of sounds, there's so many properties of science, there's so many properties of physics. There's a limited set of how this world works. There's a di- well, on the one hand, there's a dizzying variety of expressions of God in this world. Yet, on the other hand, there's a tremendous constriction where there's a tremendous regularity of form and order and symmetry that, you know, the laws of physics have never changed except for when miracles occurred. But basically we live that a circle is a circle, a square is a square, gravity is gravity, this color is that. There's a tremendous, even though there's within the universe that we live in, there's tremendous detail, there's also tremendous uniformity. The reason that there's tremendous uniformity is not that the creator is not involved in a world that is running on its own. The reason that there is tremendous uniformity and conformity and regularity in our experience is because the world was created as a place where the mental map of a human being and his ability to contemplate God would have a place where he felt like things made sense. 
In other words, again, the reason the universe is so regular and, and, and we can fall into patterns of thinking it's mundane, it's not to be mundane. It's to be an experience that we can handle, that we can glean wisdom from it. When a teacher is teaching a student and he's teaching him math or he's teaching him another language or any subject or study, if the student is going to retain and attain the goal of mastering a certain subject, then the subject needs to be presented to him with clear, logical rules that are consistent and fall within the framework of an overall system where its parts fit together. That's why the universe is so regular. It's so repetitive. It's so that we can learn from it. The universe is one great simulation, which is a teaching tool where God is teaching him is teaching us about himself through the tool of the universe. That's why it's so regular and mundane. That's why the patterns repeat is so that we can use the universe as a tool to learn about God and his powers. Unfortunately, people with their free will take the regularity of nature as a sign that God is not involved. It's just the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, the reason he's saying there's so much variety in the world is that it shows the free will of the Creator that he's not forced to just create this or that thing. But since there's so much variety in the world, it shows that the creator has so many powers. And again, just because we say, wow, look at all this variety in the world. Look at all that God can do if a person wants to look at it that way. Or you could say, hey, look at all this stuff. How could there be just one God behind it? You know, he has that option. But if he says, hey, no, I see that the tremendous variety in the universe is showing, wow, look at God. He's so much, he's so powerful. His powers are so great. Look what all he can do. He has to remember that we're looking at a drop in the ocean. That, yes, there's so much variety in this universe, but it's only a drop in the ocean of what's possible. Also the fact that Hashem doesn't just create a bunch of uniform qualities but creates so much variety shows that He is free to create anything He wants. So again, if, if the universe was made only of circular things or only of blue things, uh, and, and so, uh, so far and so and so forth like that it wouldn't show as much as that our universe with all its variety shows that look how free God is to 
create anything you want. So again, people look at the world and the free will in it and all the variety in it, and they say, how could there be one God behind it all? We can flip around the very question and look at it the other direction. The fact that there is so much variety, that there is even free will, that God can create agents, human beings with free will, and yet he's always creating them, and he, and he somehow uh, has planned in every step of the way how all of those free will choices are yet only expressions of his powers, that anything anyone could ever do in their free will choice is only drawing on the powers of the creator that he implanted and installed and carved into the nature of creation, that a person standing in this place in this time would be able to do this choice or that, but it's only expressing the possibility that the creator already created and whatever they choose to do, it's only going to draw out the plan. So whereas free will is like the ultimate variety in creation, human beings with their free will would be an expression of the creator of the ultimate variety of the creation. The most varied thing is people and their free will. Yet, in a very deep place, that tremendous variety itself, which is expressed through humans and their free choice, is yet only actually flipping back and showing how, free, how much free will the creator has that even within the arena of the world with people and all their free choice, every choice a person can make is actually expressing how the Creator is so deep and wise and powerful that all those choices that each person could select are only powers, are only expressing His different powers, are only expressing His different powers of running His plan, of of manifesting what he wants to manifest in this universe through, in a mysterious way, through each free will choice that a person can make. That even through the free will choice of people, it's still only drawing out God's plan. That shows just how powerful he is. Just how much he could express. Okay, fine.